Good morning, church family. Hey, we've been uh, journeying through the book of Matthew together for the last several weeks, and as we have been reading and studying so far, it gives me the feeling of almost being there with Jesus as he's traveling along and, and started his ministry and he's going and doing things. If you were here last week, he did just one amazing thing after another, and we pick right up there again today. But picture it with me. Just picture that, that we're all there together with him. I, I picture we, we climb into the boat right behind him, okay? We get into the boat and we ride across the Sea of Galilee, and we picture the sun bouncing off the water and the cool mist splashing us in the air. Can you, can you be there? Can you picture yourself there? You're with Jesus. You're with the disciples. We approach Capernaum, and we come ashore, and we get out of the boat and walk with the other disciples into the city where instantly crowds are gathering all around to see this miracle worker, Jesus, again. And we can hear the whispers and the murmurs. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? What, what can I see? And then we feel the tension when the religious leaders enter the crowd. We just feel that tension. The scribes and the Pharisees get there. And everybody wonders what Jesus is going to do next. <clears throat> we know some amazing things are going to happen. We know there's going to be showdowns. We know there's going to be miracles. We're going to learn things. And Jesus will prove his authority. We expect that to happen. And our faith is going to grow. All that happens today as we get into Matthew chapter 9. If you haven't opened your Bibles already, turn there with me now. And if you need a bulletin, raise your hand. Chris is happy to put one in your hand. The sermon notes are there. It might help you follow along. So Matthew chapter 9, last week, if you were here, we were in Matthew chapter 8. We're marching right through the book of Matthew. We saw in Matthew 8 last week how Matthew arranges chapters 8 and 9 as one unit. Chapters 8 and 9, if you have your Bibles open, you can just scan around between chapters 8 and 9. Matthew puts that between two major discourses of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and then his commissioning of the disciples, which we're going to get into next week. But Chapters 8 and 9 are just filled with all kinds of things that, that Jesus did for one purpose. The purpose is to prove his authority over all of creation. Everything. Everything. Last week we saw Jesus prove his authority without the, beyond the shadow of a doubt over disease, over disciples, over disasters, and over demons. We're meeting the real Jesus here. The real Jesus. Not some weak or weird Jesus that we put into our own image looking at the Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus. And we see he has all authority in heaven and earth. And we rejoice in that. Amen? Our Jesus, the Jesus, has authority over everything. Over everything. And then we learn that our faith is effective as we put more and more of our faith in him. And what he does through his authority and our effective faith. So today we have ultimate authority and effective faith, part two, because we're finishing this unit that Matthew put together, chapters 8 and 9. And as we get into the events of chapter 9, it gets even more beautiful, our journey. Because today we're getting into the deeper purpose of the things that we see. Jesus is fixing, miraculously, some of the crises on our surface level. But today he gets below the surface even further to the root cause of all suffering, which is sin find that Jesus meets our greatest need, 
by defeating sin and its effects on our behalf. Let's get there. Open to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to see five massive areas that Jesus proves his authority over today, one right after the other, and how with our effective faith, Jesus can change the world and change our lives. He starts right here. The first one is right with the root of all suffering, sin, ultimate authority, and effective faith over sin. Yes, we can overcome sin itself. So here we come to the much-loved story of the friends who took their paralyzed friend and put him on the bed and carried him to Jesus. If you know that story, you love that story. Amazing story of friendship and of faith and of healing. Here is a picture of a painting on a wall of this scene that is 1,800 years old. I just want, just want you to grasp how over 2,000 years, how many people have read this story, have read scripture, and received this blessing of faith in the real Jesus. It's our turn today. Let's read, starting in in verse 1. This section is 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. It's Capernaum, where he moved after Nazareth. Thanks, Sean. I might get crazy up here. You never know. And behold... So the, the other Gospels, Mark gives a little bit more details. He's in a house. There's crowds everywhere. They're pressed against. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, Mark, the Gospel of Mark includes the whole story where his friends, they can't get to Jesus. They have faith. They believe. They love their friends. So what do they do? They climb up to the roof and start dismantling the roof to lower him right in front of Jesus. Isn't that an awesome scene? Now, if I was Matthew, I would have included those details, but I'm not Matthew. His focus is on what comes next. Matthew's focus is here. And when, he, when Jesus saw their faith, he gets right to this. When he saw their faith, this is effective faith that we need to have too. Then he said to the paralytic, maybe not what they expected or what we expect. Here's what he says. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Well, that didn't seem to be why they came there. But that's where Jesus goes first, not healing from the suffering, but the forgiveness of his sins. See how the details fill in, starting in verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming, because they know that only God can forgive sins. Only God has the authority to forgive sin, wash them away. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Now he's going to prove his authority over even sin. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, because nobody can measure that. But, verse 6, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were awestruck. And they glorified God who had given such what? Authority to men. Jesus is removing all doubt. He's the king of kings. He is God. He's the creator. He has authority over everything, including our sin. He showed his authority to make paralytics walk. 
in order to show his authority over sin. That's the purpose of this miracle and these miracles. Of course, no one has that authority but God. Jesus is God. And Jesus shows here that our ultimate problem is spiritual death. And he came to deal with that and take care of that problem, which is our sin. The forgiveness of our, for our sins that only Jesus can offer is God's greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. We have access to that. Our sin grinds us down and beats us up. It covers us in shame and guilt. Jesus has the authority. Do you have the effective faith to receive Jesus' forgiveness? He offers it. Have you received it? When you do, you rejoice. It washes you white as snow. Cleanses you from all unrighteousness. When you ask, he's got that authority. Hear that good news. This is the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. And we're reading about what he chose to do to prove it as it all unfolds. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, your condemnation for sin, all of its effects, get wiped away. This is what we call being saved. Have you been saved? I hope so, and I hope that that's very, very special to you. And if you have not been or you're not sure that you make sure today by calling on the name of Jesus, that's actually where Jesus goes next. I said there's five massive areas where Jesus addresses today. The next area and what he does, and Matthew records, is ultimate authority and effective faith to save. Matthew got the opportunity to share about his own salvation. He's writing the book. Now, he could have gone on and on, but really he just mentions it very humbly, very passionately. Here's a classic painting of, of Jesus calling Matthew to follow him. Remember who, Jesus, uh, who Matthew was? He was a tax collector, one of the most hated people. And I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that. Let's pick up in verse 9, though. <clears throat> As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and, and followed him. A brief moment, but a very special moment, a life-changing moment for Matthew. Jesus gave Matthew the same call that he had given Peter, Andrew, James, and John earlier in chapter 4. And that he gives each of us today. Follow me, he says. Follow me. This is the definition of a disciple. I remember when I first learned, what does the word disciple mean? Simply, it just literally means follower. Who you are a disciple of, and you're discipled by a lot of people, a lot of entities, influences. Jesus says, follow me. Be a disciple of mine. And so you see here on the screen, this is how we define a disciple based on scripture. It's somebody who is saved by Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to Jesus' mission. That makes a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. You're saved by Jesus, you're being changed by Jesus, and you're committed to his mission. So he calls Matthew, follow me, and Matthew said yes, and I hope that you all do too. We're in this together. That's exactly what we're here to do. So what steps of following Christ can we take at Community Grace right now? I just want to say that our church is all about this, so here's some things that are coming up. Our baptism class happens today at 11 o'clock. If you have believed in Jesus and not been baptized, meet us there at 11 o'clock right across the hall and check out getting baptized. Hear what Jesus says about it. Then come to the team huddle. That's this Saturday morning right here at 9 o'clock. 
I'm thinking, man, maybe I should have made that a little bit later. That's kind of early for Saturday. It's worth it. <clears throat> Nine o'clock, ministry equipping, training for anybody who's in any kind of leadership at all or an apprentice leader or anything. We had 80 people at last year's and we should have at least that many this year as well. So free, feel free to come and, and be involved in that. Those are things that we can do to be equipped together to follow Christ and it's what we're doing. Join a small group if you're not in one. It's never too late. It's always a good time to join one. Ask someone to disciple you personally. Like Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Get in, ask somebody to disciple you. Those things will get you started. There's a lot more, but those things will get you started. That is our mission, to glorify God by being Christ followers who make Christ followers. That's for all of us. All right, now back to the text. This is scandalous for Jesus to call a tax collector. But nobody's outside the realm of, of Jesus' grace. We should all be following him. We're all wretched sinners, saved by grace. But remember who tax collectors were? They were the most hated because they were Jewish people who, with the force and power of the Roman army, collected taxes from their own people and charged whatever extra interest they wanted. And you had to pay it or face the Roman soldiers. And so, man, people hated. They were crooks and, and traitors. Notice here, Matthew did not leave his job <clears throat> of tax collecting with sadness. Okay, see what happens next, starting in verse 10. He didn't say, oh, I'm really going to miss this job and this financial security. <laughs> verse 10, he threw a party. He threw a party. He's excited about following Jesus. Let's pick up at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, you know, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. He quotes Isaiah 6. Hosea 6, 6 here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't desire just traditions. But the heart, mercy. The root of the Spirit. He says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is why Jesus came, to save sinners, of which we all are. And we should be thankful. He didn't come to pat people on the back who think they're righteous, who are checking the boxes and doing the right things and looking good who are relying on their family background, you know, I grew up in church, or the religious traditions, I, you know, I'm the, I'm the most well-behaved, you know, in my family, uh, or their own self-righteousness. See, self-righteous people, legalistic people, stay away from sinners. No, we don't, mm -mm, don't want them. But Jesus' true followers run to sinners. No, with care, New Testament warns us to use care as we're pursuing sinners not to be deceived and caught up in the sin, but we run to them. And that's why this church has a goal for 2022 of doing 10 Grace in Action events out in the community this year. And we have our first two next month in March. You've been hearing some early promotion of the Creation Weekend Conference that we're hosting here. And we want to invite everybody in the entire community needs to hear that there's a church up on the hill, kind of hidden from view, 
called Warsaw Community Grace Brethren Church that on Saturday and Sunday, uh, virtually most of the day on Saturday and Sunday, March 12th and 13th, you can find answers to life's biggest questions. I tell you, even the worst sinners have a soul that longs to know its creator and is wondering, why do I exist? And if you just invite people and pray for the people in your life, that's grace in action. And be excited for that. It's going to be great. And we're going to learn a lot, too, from Dr. Don DeYoung, uh, who's excellent at these kind of conferences. It's going to be a great time. Please support that. This is in your bulletin for you to use to invite somebody, and there's going to be stacks on the, on the connection table as well. That's followed by a Lego night. Everybody likes Legos, or at least a lot of people do. And uh, that's at the end of March. Everyone in the community needs to be invited and hear the gospel uh, in these powerful ways. So, once again, we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. We have one. He's the King of Kings who didn't look down on us. Let's never get self-righteous and look down on other people. Amen? Okay, right away, some disciples of John the Baptist who are continuing to hold on to some legalistic, pharisaistic, religious requirements, uh, they, they kind of joined the Pharisees here and criticized Jesus' disciples. who so were figuring all this, this real faith out. Pick up in verse 14. The disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they're watching, they're taking it all in, and Jesus' answer is profound. He says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I mean, he teaches about, verses 16 and 17, he just explodes their minds right now. And I hope that he does here with you as well. you got the entire Old Testament. This is all they know about God and faith and religion and practice. And Jesus is saying, you know, I'm God here on earth, and I'm about to explode all of that and start something brand new. Listen, listen to what he says, verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. New wine expands, old wineskins don't. So if it is, the skins will burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. So, <clears throat> understand what Jesus is saying. He's addressing the question about fasting. That's Fasting is going without food or some other kind of self-denial for the purpose of either mourning or intense prayer and worship. It's an often practiced discipline throughout Scripture, and it's one that we should, we should uh, practice today as we're able. Some kind of self-denial and heightened worship and prayer at various times. Highly advisable. But the Pharisees had turned it into a religious requirement, of course. You know, kind of a performance. And they were asking why Jesus' disciples weren't doing it, but Jesus' disciples weren't having that. And Jesus explains why with these two metaphors. Okay, here's what he's saying. God is doing something brand new here. I mean, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus was there on earth fulfilling the entire Old Testament, he's fulfilling it. He's beginning the fulfillment of all of it. And he's providing the gospel, which is what the whole Old Testament looked forward to and was the object of their faith in God before, was in what was going to come. And he was there to provide it. And 
In the Old Testament times, Israel was a chosen nation to reach the world. And now through Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed, brought to, sal- to, the, to the opportunity of salvation through the gospel of Jesus. If we stay trapped in the, the- theocratic Old Testament traditional system, that's the old wineskin, and this new gospel is going to explode that. Follow the real Jesus. This is brand new. He's about to earn our salvation, be our Lord, and bring that, and, and we through the church, the church is everything to his plan. You've heard the church's plan A, and he has no plan B. He's starting all this to bring that good news to all nations. Jesus is not just a teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a prophet, like so many people in this world would claim about Jesus, not just a good guy. He is the king of all kings who walked among us, show us how to live, how to be a follower, and then died for our sins so we don't have to. He offers salvation for our souls for eternity through his suffering. And so another community grace goal for 2022 is to someday, we haven't scheduled it yet, to have a church-wide day, a day of prayer and fasting. I'm just going to plant the seed now to look forward to that. And God will move great things in your life, in your household, in your family, in our church, in the community, in the world when we do that. He's proved that over and over. I look forward to that. Ultimate authority and effective faith to save. Now, third, because sin, suffering, and death still exist, as long as we're on this earth, our sojourn on this earth, Jesus shows us next Starting in verse 18, ultimate authority and effective faith over despair. Yes, there's a lot of suffering. We don't have to despair. Let me ask, does despair define, kind of describe your life right now? Please listen. Matthew gives two miracle stories here, both of them of great despair, but notice the great faith in both of them. Let's read verses 18 through 22. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. A ruler knelt before him. Again, just like the Roman centurion, he understands the greater authority and in a spirit of faith and humility kneels before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. There's great faith. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. So they're journeying to see this man's daughter. And then we have a little interruption. So hold on to the first half of that story. Verse 20, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And she did. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. This is the Jesus that we follow, that we believe. This is the kind of faith that we need to have. Jesus' authority is comforting because he gives hope in the midst of despair. So 
If you're in despair right now or know people who are, you probably will be again someday in the future. Remember, remember these people here. The, the ruler was named Jairus, and he has hope in Jesus' authority. He trusts him. And then this lady who interrupted their journey had lived in despair for 12 years. Nobody could help bring her healing. But she knew, and he knew, that Jesus could help them one way or the other. They believed, they reached out to Jesus, and Jesus affirmed their faith and helped them. What good news this is in the midst of despair for hurting people. Go to Jesus, we have an answer, we have a solution, and he will do great things in the way that he devises and knows is best for you. Go to Jesus. I hope this text is making that clear. We have that through faith. Sometimes he heals because of people's faith, like here. Sometimes he heals to lead people to faith. Sometimes he doesn't heal, but works some powerful other result that's better than physical healing. So whatever happened to, uh, to the ruler's daughter? Let's pick up in verse 23 and find out. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw a funeral procession. He saw the flute players, the crowd making a commotion. Just again, picture you're there, walk up to the house with him. He said, it's a funeral procession. He says, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Who is this guy? But when the crowd had been put outside, so he was successful, get out of there. He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. But can you imagine being at a funeral, and the body's in the casket right there, and a guy walks up, takes the hand of the body, and says, rise. What boldness. Be put off until she actually rose. And then you'd say, what authority? The news would spread. And yes, it's true. The one who has authority over disease, disasters, demons, sin itself, and our salvation, of course, has the authority over our despair. And even death itself. There's a writing from G.B. Hardy. He was a scientist that came to faith in Christ and he once wrote about his faith journey, a scientist who earnestly sought the religions of the world to find truth. And here's what he wrote. After he came to Christ, he wrote this. When I, when I looked at religion, I have two questions. One, has anybody ever conquered death? And two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. And I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And I said, there is one who conquered death. And I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it too? And I opened the Bible and discovered that he said, because I live, you shall live also. Our Jesus. King Jesus died the death that all of us deserve. And now he reaches out to offer all of us this spiritual life. And we'll probably die in this world unless he comes back first. 
but you know death is not the end. This life is a vapor, and he offers spiritual life. The fullness of all of his promises are received in eternity. And speaking of science, we're talking about a scientist seeking and pursuing. Let me just remind you one more time. Uh, Dr. Don Young, we just uh, ran a, a radio ad, actually. It's, we just recorded it at the station last week, and it's going to be ra- running on the radio stations for this conference. And his opening line is, um, a popular saying these days is, follow the science. When we follow the science, it leads us right to the creator in every discipline and field of science. And we're going to cover all those on that weekend. Bring the community, please, and bring yourselves and families. It's good for all ages. <clears throat> okay. The real Jesus is, is just more awesome. Matthew tells two more miracle accounts now to demonstrate Jesus' authority. He's not finished yet. Okay, ultimate authority, number four, and effective faith over disability now. Now, The first two involve blind men who are eager to see, eager to see, but listen to the faith of these men. Faith is required. Starting in verse 27, and Jesus passed on from there, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men follow him and listen to what they cry aloud. They said, have mercy on us, son of David. When people cry out to Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, it's an automatic statement of their faith that the promised Messiah of God of all these centuries promised and anticipated is here and it's him, it's Jesus. So that's an instant sign of faith. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, yes, yes, Lord. Okay. He's free to do this through this faith. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it, but they went away and spread his fame through all the district. I didn't want to spend a lot of time. We, we see Jesus saying, don't tell anybody often. I'll just say this now, and I'll say this again probably. Uh, Jesus knows that it's not his appointed time to die yet. And if, as he's performing miracles to demonstrate his authority, um, he's being careful that the Pharisees don't get too crazy now because his appointed time to die doesn't come until the end of the third year of his ministry on the night of Passover. And we'll get to that at the end of Matthew. I hope that makes sense. Um, But the guys don't obey him anyway. They go and spread his fame all over. Can't really blame him, but all right. So God first gave these men spiritual eyes to see. That's how we have faith. God gives us faith. God gives us the spiritual eyes to see that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Now, of all the scriptures they'd ever heard, uh, assuming they were Jewish, uh, and assuming they had heard scriptures, I'm guessing that blind guys probably remember Isaiah 35:5 the most, that with the coming Messiah, eyes of the blind will be opened. They had that scripture, and the Holy Spirit brought that to mind, and they claimed that, their faith in that word of God. And they believed, and Jesus opened their eyes, physically and spiritually that day. Awesome. Awesome. Believe the word of God. Finally, in verses 32 and through 34, Jesus shows that he has authority over the residing ruler of this present earthly kingdom. 
which is the devil. Ultimate authority and effective faith over the devil, over Satan. Yes, God has granted for this time Satan to be the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this present darkness, the prince of the kingdom of this earth. Jesus has the ultimate authority over him without question. He's going to prove it again and again and again. Here he was. Jesus was fulfilling messianic prophecy at one right after the other. The eyes of the blind will be open. He just did that. Isaiah 35 adds, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the lame shall leap like a deer. All that's happening. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That one's about to happen right now. We find more of these prophecies fulfilled in our last three verses. Let's look at those. Verse 32 through 34. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, unable to speak, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled again, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. Now, the ending of this is critical here. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now, first of all, not all physical disabilities are caused by demons. Some are, and this one was. We're told that much. And the devil does seek to steal, kill, and destroy in every deceptive way that he possibly can. And he's very good at it, isn't he? Jesus demonstrates his clear authority over him. But the, that ending is significant, what the Pharisees say. The Pharisees say he casts out demons by the prince of demons. See, they, by saying that, they were claiming that Jesus is under Satan. And now we're going to see a lot more clashes between Jesus and Satan and Jesus and the Pharisees. And we're, we're reading about how this all develops and plays out and what we can gain from it. What we see here is that, no, Jesus casts out demons because he has the authority over them. Not because he's under the devil, but because he's overcome the devil. The devil has freedom to do things now, but his end is guaranteed. And we read all about it in lots of scriptures. And we can rejoice because Jesus will destroy the devil in his time. Let me just look at one text that promises that. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. I'll put it on the screen. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. By his grace, he gives us a glimpse into the future. We, of all people, are the most hopeful. He says, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is their faith. That is ultimate authority and effective faith. For they have not loved their lives even unto death. That is humbling, humility, giving our life to Christ. That brings the victory over Satan himself. 
That is secure. Will you be a part of that? And we have all hope because Jesus' authority is absolute and his victory is certain. We're getting into some great topics for further study. I want to give you two book recommendations at this point about the topic of spiritual warfare, our victory, Jesus' authority. What Jesus' authority means that all of it's been given to him and he gives it to us. Now, there's some distortion out there, what that means. We need to know what it means and what it doesn't mean. We need to know that we have the authority over Satan. He's got no authority over us. All he's got is deception. And he fools us and he tricks us and he grinds us down. But we have all the authority over him. Read these two books for more. The screw tape Letters from C.S. Lewis, we have at the Resource Center out there, uh, is a great theological fiction excellent look into the Bible's teachings of exactly what kind of authority and power and tricks Satan uses and what he doesn't have. <clears throat> and we need to know that. Then the bondage breaker is, okay, so how do I actually take the steps towards deliverance, deliverance in my life from the devil's grip? Neil Anderson's The Bondage Breaker is among the best works for that. We don't have that at the Resource Center, but I hear Amazon sells books. <clears throat> and then, we, you know, we met, we've, we've met Jay and Jan Bell, uh, our great commission consultant, and it turns out that, that Jay and Jan have used this book to counsel hundreds of people in spiritual victory and deliverance. So I just want to, if you're in a place to, um, to explore these things more, please look at either one or both of those. Next steps for today. After this walk with Jesus and his disciples, through the living, breathing word of God, a few things. First, acknowledge King Jesus' ultimate authority. Acknowledge it humbly. And then accept his perfect love. And then give him your absolute allegiance. Let me say a few things about this. Is maybe you're writing it down or just committing these three things in your hearts and minds to Christ. This is where we give Jesus our entire life. This is what he demands. It's glorious for us to do it. It's what the world needs. It's what we need. When we acknowledge, first of all, that Jesus has all the authority and humble ourselves to him, we kneel down before him like Jairus, that ruler, did. That's when we experience new life. We need that and the refreshment of that. Then when we accept his perfect love, that's when our identity is totally secure. That's a nice thing. God is good. Our identity is totally secure when we accept his perfect love. We are loved by the creator, the God who proved his love by laying down his life for us. Accept that perfect love that he offers. And then third, when we give Jesus our absolute allegiance, we'll be like the leper. We'll be like the centurion. We'll be like the, the paralyzed man and his friends here in chapter 9. We'll be like Matthew. He left his job happily. We'll be like the sick woman who said, if I can just touch him, I'll be made well. We'll be like the grieving dad. We'll be like the blind men. All of these renounced the world and followed Jesus. Give him your life today. Is he worthy? Yes, he is. And we're going to sing that to him now. One of the greatest songs. Is he worthy? Yes, he is. And I ask that you sing it prayerfully with these three things in mind. Jesus, I give you all the authority. I accept your perfect love. 
I give you the allegiance of my entire life. Let's pray and then sing.